0: Welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia. Here's your host, Will Sherlin.
1: Welcome back to the Innovation Engine podcast. For this episode, we packed our recording equipment up and made the short drive over to Reston, Virginia to visit the Refraction co working space and to speak with Rachel Stott, the director of the space. Rachel, as you may recall, was our guest a few episodes back when we talked about the importance of space and place in work environments. That conversation was so fascinating that we decided to go see for ourselves how Rachel has put into practice. A number of the concepts that she talked about on that episode so sit back relax and join us for this extended version of the podcast to hear how refraction has set up an environment that encourages productivity collaboration and of course innovation and how you can too But uh, we're here with Rachel Stott at Refraction, had such a good time talking with her uh, on the last podcast episode, felt like we could have gone on for days. So we said, let's come over to Refraction and see some of the ideas in practice. So that's what we're going to do.
0: We're in the lobby at the moment.
1: And we have her uh, tiny drum set set up. We hear that's for your comedic timing.
0: We can call it comedic timing. It's probably more accurately my Australian snarkiness um, (laughs) that they like to put the drum, the hi-hat hit afterwards. It softens the blow a little bit.
1: (laughs) Very nice. We'll leave Kevin Boyle here for the moment and we'll come back and catch him. And we're going to take you on a quick tour of the space.
0: So we will start in the lobby here, and this lobby was designed so it's multi-purpose. So there's glass doors on both sides, so it can be isolated as an event space. There's couches and chairs and tables that can be used for conversations like this, Mm -hmm. where you're not in a meeting room, you're not collaborating at a desk. You maybe don't want to let the conversation go just yet. And so there's a chair to drag your hand along or a bench to stand around or things like that to capture that spontaneous collaboration. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes that's where most of it happens. Uh, You have your meeting, you have your formal discussions, your slides. And then the really juicy part happens when you're about to walk out, you've already got rapport and you want to continue that discussion. So we've created spaces to capture that.
1: Okay, nice. And I can see through the uh, sliding glass doors, you mentioned when we spoke last time that the kitchen is the hub of uh, all good activity when it comes to the workplace. So the kitchen starts us off.
0: Yeah, the kitchen, Scandinavia, you always enter through a kitchen, a way of building rapport, sharing kind of the heart of the home. We didn't want our reception desk to be full of coffee stains. And we actually wanted the doors, which we were going to frost so that we could close off how ugly it might look. In practice, while we were waiting for the frosting so, to arrive, we actually liked the transparency and we never closed the doors. So we left it off. And so one of the first things you notice is what we point to when we have somebody arrive at the reception desk. We always ask, can I get you a, a tea or a coffee or a soda or a glass of water? The same as you would when somebody arrives at your house.
1: Sure.
0: Starting that hospitality, uh, building that rapport, making people feel welcome. A lot of our furniture is also very domestic, very textural, kind of things that you would furnish your home with Mm -hmm. to make people feel that sense of kind of relaxation. The shoulders tend to drop a little bit and we orchestrate that from kind of the moment they walk in the door.
1: Yeah. And where do you get the furniture from?
0: Actually, Wayfair.com, where you would if you were furnishing a home. Mm -hmm. Some Ikea, of course, particularly we've got some cork tabletops that are in some of our offices and AV rooms and small meeting rooms that were actually designed by one of my favorite interior designers, which is Isla Crawford. And she was the one who founded the wellness movement in interior design. So she was the one who designed the first hotel that felt like you were staying at someone's home as opposed to a corporate space, Mm -hmm. like a corporate hospitality space. And she's really pioneered texture and touch and design as a way to enhance how we feel in a space without really knowing why. And so she actually did a line for IKEA a couple of years back. took them three years to design it, It took us all like five minutes to order it online. And so we've used her cork in our AV rooms and our phone rooms. And we've echoed those cork with some of our um, our stools throughout the space, Mm -hmm. because touch natural and things like that really makes a difference to how we feel.
1: Okay, very nice. Let's move on to the kitchen.
0: Okay. (laughs) Let's see how many coffee stains there are. (laughs) We're not too bad today. We have a dishwasher coming, because what you can't see at home is our sink full of drip drying coffee mugs. But what we have here is uh, essentially a galley kitchen teamed with a high bench lots of stalls. We never found a solution for our trash because we go through so much of it. So giant trash bins, statement lights to anchor the space and everything in here is black and white. This space itself actually used to be a copy room. No kidding. So with the government contractor that was here before us, literally the bottom row and the top row of cabinets, there was another set on the other side and it was just full of forms, paper, photocopiers, printers, cutters spiral binding machines things that we have never ever ever in the history of our time in this space seen in the space we go through maybe four or five rooms of paper a year (laughs) so we repurposed what was the coffee room into a um, a kitchen because when we first moved into the space it was a sublease and they kept the kitchen on their side it was an awful kitchen when we got the whole space we tore it up and started again But lots of bench space for toaster ovens, microwaves, coffee machines, Keurigs for tea, espresso machines, instant hot cold, and lots of space to stand around. Two refrigerators just on this side. We have another kitchen on the other side with our other entry that is about the same size. So we really maximized the space of where people could feel as though they were at home. So yeah, there's a a whole lot in here, including bottomless coffee, tea, beer, soda, iced tea, fruit yogurt snacks nuts cereals chips doritos they go really fast (laughs) heaven forbid we're ever out of chocolate covered almonds i think they would have our heads so lots of space for people to mill around and then there's spillover tables immediately adjacent designed for where people can eat and actually it doesn't often happen that way we find people collaborate around those round tables so they drop laptops down they grab a soda sit down and they have a meeting particularly our millennials They much prefer to sit around a round table with their laptops and a can of Coke in their hand than they do to actually bother booking a meeting room and kind of plugging things into a TV and and all that kind of jazz. They prefer to just have a conversation and get it done.
1: Yep, And I noticed that the chairs do not recline at those tables. They
0: do not. (laughs) Lots of stools, lots of non-reclining chairs. Just behind us, actually, we have our nursing room. So we had a giant quiet room in the old space. And by giant, it was the second largest room in the space. We were really adamant that it was important to have a quiet space where our introverts could retire to, Mm -hmm. and even where our extroverts, we get tapped out. If we're constantly collaborating and we have to feel like we're constantly on and we're constantly saying yes to when people ask us for help or conversation, uh, then what we tend to do is put our headphones on Stare at our screen and block out everything else. And so, in a constantly extroverted space, like just beyond our kitchen, we have our open co working floor, it actually decreases collaboration if there isn't the idea of a place to retire to. Most people never actually use it, Mm -hmm. but no one wanted to let go of the idea that they could escape it if they needed to. So we wanted to keep our nursing room, oh sorry, our quiet room, Mm -hmm. but we also had an increase in females in the companies within the space, which was fabulous because we were aiming for that. Easier to attract the fairer sex, when there's not cords running along the floor and empty beer cans everywhere and kind of a very programming culture which we were working against. Mm-hmm. So we did see the ratio of females to males rise in all of our companies. And so a nursing space was something that we thought a well wellness room, we thought would be really important. We only found about five to seven people used our quiet space regularly. So as opposed to having a large unbookable space, mm-hmm. we made it a bookable room. We gave our nursing mothers first right of refusal they can book it first if it's not booked for them anybody can book it and walk in and use it and so bean bags comfy chairs obviously a refrigerator lots of plugs nice views quiet little space for people to maybe power through on a deck if they want to catch a few z's listen to some music let off a little bit of steam there's absolutely no phones no conversation no nerf darts I had to enforce that a couple of times (laughs) in the space and yeah, it's a a necessary part of what we have and um, still not a tremendous amount of people use it, but when we survey them about eliminating it, we had a resounding almost unanimous no. So humans like to know that there's a place that we can escape to. Everyone needs to know where doors are or where kind of the release valve is. Mm -hmm. And so just knowing there's a place that you can retire to if you needed to is really important. So we still have that.
1: Very nice. And so just looking around at kind of like the color palette here, <laughs> a lot of black and white.
0: Yes. That is part of my personal aesthetic. And also we have, you know, 50-something companies in here at the moment. So if we made it blue, all those companies that's logo was red or green, or if we made it yellow, or if we made it kind of the Google colors and primary colors and things like that, all the companies that were black and white. So what we did was we picked a neutral palette, that way everybody's logo and nobody's logo works equally well it's also inexpensive (laughs) in comparison to some of the other options there's always black and white versions of furniture it's easy to match them you're not trying to get two different shades of yellow to match and work together in a way that might not if things are out of stock or if lines of furniture or finishes and things like that are attired. We don't run into any issues if we're just matching black and white and gray. We also have very angular aesthetics in the space. There's lots of lines and angles. There aren't a whole lot of, aside from our round tables, there aren't a whole lot of round. And there's very little, I guess, that speaks to specific subcultures. So it's all, if there's any art in the space, it's mostly design based. Or it's graphical so that we're not referencing any particular subculture to make any people feel more or less comfortable so it's cheap it's effective and it's striking you don't have to spend a whole lot of money to um, make something look really striking if you've got black on white
1: yeah and let me ask we haven't peeked our way or our heads all the way around the corner and seen the rest of the floor but at least at three pillar there is a growing movement to standing is that something that happens here as well
0: yeah, we actually started experimenting with very desks so that people could try them out and stand and things like that. We try to keep the desks and chairs in the space relatively uniform. Mm-hmm. And so we've looked at a number of different options. We discourage people from bringing their own furniture to the open co-working floor. When we have visual clutter, it starts to feel chaotic. People are less able to focus, get their work done concentrate etc so we try to keep the black and white and similar sizes and shapes and things like that we have found one standing desk company that we're recommending for people Mm -hmm. if they want to bring it to the open co-working floor so we're open to it and we do have a number of very desks that kind of circulate around for people we also have occasional people that want to sit on swiss balls and things like that that bring those in for themselves but in our open co-working floor there's not too much variation. There's a couple that use standing desks. In some of our company spaces, so in our offices and things like that, there is a significant trend towards more of our standing desks. We actually had a standing desk foot pad company come in and record their Kickstarter video here and donate a couple of different pads for our guys to try. Okay. So we, we do have a movement towards that. And we found that day that our guys have great sock game. There was some, Great sock game. Yeah, there was some really interesting socks that day <laughs> when we were taking shoes off and, and trying them out for the photo shoot. So, yeah, there is a trend towards that. We have a lot of requests. Well, enough requests for things like treadmill desks and things like that. We haven't gone that far yet. But if they keep coming in, it'll be something that we um, we consider.
1: Yeah, I can get behind the standing. The treadmill desk just, I don't know, something about it to me is like, it's like there's too much multitasking going on yeah part I, of the benefit for me of exercising is like I am forced to get away from well, work for a little bit.
0: I guess it depends on what your priorities is and what happens outside of work. I sure. know exercising outside of work is is probably difficult. I run around off my kids more than anything else. But the the thing I think we might do if there is a push for it, which is what we did with standing desks, Mm -hmm. is we made two of them bookable and in the space, kind of just around somewhere. So people who weren't sure if it was something that was right for them Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to try it out with a really low barrier to entry, and then they could decide for themselves whether it was something that they wanted in their own space.
1: Yeah, very nice. Well, can we walk the floor a little bit and see what there is to see?
0: We can, on our left-hand side. We have a series of meeting rooms, all of them round tables, straight back chairs, no <laughs> recline. In the corner, right over in the corner, we have what's called the lounge, which is couches and lift-top uh, coffee tables with a TV on the wall. And it's way out of line of sight. So people tend to hide there. Okay. If you go to the lounge, even if someone kind of walks the whole floor, they may miss you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's a really comfy, comfy place. Okay. Um, so we find a lot of brainstorming or kind of working through a project or things like that where you kind of you're feeling a little bit weighed down it's a nice space to get work done without really feeling like you're working
1: yeah and a nice window to outside it looks like
0: yeah it's got two windows to the outside it's it's effectively what would be the corner office Mm -hmm. which is interesting in an old kind of 30 years ago corner of corner office would have been something of status we don't have a single CEO in the space in a corner office We actually have a number of them who intentionally sit on the open co-working floor with their teams, Mm -hmm. even as they start to grow We're negotiating with some of them so they can grow into more open seating as opposed to growing into an office with open seating Mm -hmm. because they want to maintain that direct eye contact and, and the easy discussion with their teams without needing to physically get up and move. So yeah, what would have been kind of the CEO's seat is now the chilled place to get work done.
1: Okay. Very nice. And growlers on top of the fridge, it it looks like?
0: Yes, from a local brewery. Got to make sure that we're supporting our own. We do a lot of events and things like that as much as we can. We support local Reston Town Centre and Lake Anne and kind of regional Reston and Northern Virginia businesses when it comes to our food and our alcohol and things like that. So the growlers on the top are Lake Anne Brewery good friends of ours and they were from our opening party. We had exclusively alcohol and food and as much as we could wine and things like that as well that were um, from our region. So if we're going to bring people in, if we're going to increase that density, if we're going to increase that serendipity while we're at it, we want to make sure that it stays here. So we pick local companies to partner with. Okay,
1: very nice. Okay, and sea of desks and monitors basically. How much room do you have on this floor?
0: On the whole floor, it's 24,000 square feet. Okay. From kind of our lobby to this half, so half of it is about 11,000 square feet, 11-12,000 square feet. So it's a decent space. We have about 60 open desks mm-hmm. with what we're looking at in rows. It's essentially bench seating. We have no barriers between our desks at all. We did have kind of a partition that was designed to be in the middle and we eliminated that as well because it started to impact our line of sight. So what we did was we just had collaboration tables in the middle initially, and we grew into the space. So as our desks filled up and we needed more space for more desks, we moved out some of the small collaboration tables and we moved in another row of desks. But essentially you've got line of sight from end to end, from any of the doorways of the offices, which align the far right side of the space. You can stand in your doorway and eyeball anybody in the space as well. So what it does is allow for a high level of collaboration, which is why we need that quiet room so people don't feel as though they're kind of constantly bombarded. Oftentimes, as you can see here, doors to the offices are open. The uh, only ones that are closed at the moment are in the far corner there are noisy friends and uh, we pushed them into offices for that reason. They are lots of fun, great energy in space and they are disproportionately noisy, so we like to be able to close them in. <laughs>
1: And they like that too?
0: They do. They do. They come out. They're very social. They're very collaborative and open, really likely to share contacts. And uh, they work with us in the space because they have 3D printers and drones and things like that. They've got some of the sexy stuff that they're happy to share and uh, things like that. Actually, there's a a little 3D printed head on the desk over there if you can see the lime green bust of an individual. And they actually had the technology that did that. So they kind of do a, a 360 photo in 3D of somebody's shoulders and head and then feed that into their 3D printer and it spits you out a number of hours later. A 3D bust of an individual. So they're really cool, but they're noisy. So they're the only ones with closed (laughs) doors. Everybody else for the most part, unless there's a meeting or a call happening in our offices, we have our doors open and we encourage that. Mm -hmm. The moment you close your door, then you change the culture in your team if you have team on the floor as well. It decreases transparency, it decreases engagement, it decreases a whole range of things. There's no real productivity gain outside of if it's too noisy out here and it's interrupting your call. So our guys are pretty good that way. And as you can tell, it's relatively full at the moment, mm-hmm. and it's still pretty quiet. People are having conversations, that's not an issue. But it's not like a raucous environment. So most of our entrepreneurs are older. Actually, stereotypically in this region, the average age of founding a company is about early 40s, 42. Okay. So we're not a frat house we don't encourage that kind of behavior either everyone's allowed to have fun but a lot of real work happens here and a lot of it's very heads down so we have more of the problem of dragging people away from their desks to do happy hours and other collaborative things to make sure that they maintain rapport with different people and get to know new members of the community Mm -hmm. more than kind of forcing them into their offices to get stuff done so yeah it's a great space i remember moving into this space the first time and there was three rows of people and it looked very empty and very sad it only took us about nine months to fill up and since then this has kind of been what it's like it's always quieter on mondays and fridays we've put that down to if people are going to work from home mm-hmm. they tend to work from home on mondays and fridays and give themselves kind of a mm-hmm. an easy start to the week or end to the week and kind of a a faux long weekend and that telecommuting and flexible work schedules and things like that the vast majority of our companies operate that way yeah. so we see a decline in people on Mondays and Fridays but ironically on for example when Loudoun County County or Fairfax County have a teacher work day you may find six to seven elementary school children in the space with iPads or playing with our um we've got someone <laughs> over here nodding because that was my kids a couple of weeks ago. So they're either on iPads or borrowing unearth guns or playing on the arcade games or just generally reading and and doing stuff like that. We've got plenty of space for them. We don't have a policy around kids as such, but it's never bothered anybody and it allows for that really inclusive work environment where, you know, people can just get their stuff done regardless of what's happening outside of the office.
1: Mm -hmm. And you mentioned kids, what about pets?
0: No, nope, we're not allowed to have pets. Okay. That's a, a building rule. There's a bunch of things we're not allowed to have because of the building insurance policies. So we have no pets in the space. Although we do have a, um, a sizable petition of people who would like to have pets in sure. the space.
1: And I know events are a big part of what you do here, mm-hmm. or events held here on the floor or no,
0: we have okay. uh, we were really clear there's a couple of other co-working incubator spaces in our region and some of them were known for having a lot of energy and then come five o'clock everybody had to stop what they're doing and move the desks out of the way because the work floor was actually also the event space mm-hmm. and so people who didn't want to stop work at five which in the early stages of a startup probably not a sustainable work model to constantly be leaving at five o'clock they found that really difficult so some of that early feedback that we got made sure For us, that we corralled a certain amount of space designed for collaboration that wouldn't impact our community at all. So we have a separate event space and have always had a separate event space. Often it's a multi-use, multi-purpose space because we can't have our floor not doing anything for great Mm -hmm. periods of time. But we have made sure that it does not affect the people who are here running businesses full time. They can be here 24 hours, 7 days a week if they wanted to and our events would not impact their capacity to get their work done.
1: And you mentioned the arcade games.
0: Yeah, that's in the event space.
1: Okay. Is the event space on this floor?
0: Yeah, yeah, we just have one floor. It's kind of a loop. We can keep walking around. Sure. So if we take there's this little side alley down here, these are some of my favorite rooms. You can see here we have just a um, a small sofa and an armchair and a lift-top coffee table. Lots of glass in the doors and side lights so that if you're in here and, say, you need to get through a slide, pitch deck or if you have some work that you need to do that you really need to power through and not be interrupted people can book these rooms close themselves off people can kind of frantically wave at them if they're needed for anything but it's a really comfortable space the reason that we designed these spaces were not for that which is kind of people using it as a, a makeshift quiet room we designed them because they're very homey and there's not a desk between people Mm -hmm. All of the furniture is low and comfortable and it's designed to build rapport. So if you were going to have a difficult conversation with someone, you're probably going to have them sit down on a couch. So they were designed so that our team leads, for example, within our companies were not giving performance reviews or having difficult conversations around HR issues with a desk or a table in front of them. Mm -hmm. So what it does is it if you put a desk in between people in those difficult conversations, then you're already creating an us and them or a power dynamic. Whereas if you're sitting alongside someone or you can like kind of slide a laptop or a screen because there are no TVs in these spaces or whiteboards, if you can slide a screen between you, then you're on the same side together collaborating around the data or the issue or things like that. It changes the dynamic of the conversations that take place and by allowing their couches, so clearly they don't recline, but the angle's a little bit more relaxed. So it allows people to kind of take some space and and lean back a little bit without really allowing them to disengage. So the spaces were very intentionally designed for some of the conversations that we didn't have any spaces in our old first iteration that supported those conversations. And uh, we didn't give anybody any advice on these rooms and they are the rooms that are often most booked. We're asked most about the furniture by people who leave the space, if they mm-hmm. can get some themselves, and people instantly figured out what they were designed for. It was one of those easy kind of Apple moments where you take an iPad out of the box and you already know how to use it. Yeah. It was one of those situations. People already figured out what they were used for, and they use that way every day.
1: Very nice. And the rooms are named after different types of coffee.
0: They are. We thought You say to someone if you're going to have a conversation, let's go grab a coffee. So one's called Americano and one's called Macchiato because my two team members who kindly helped me put together all of the furniture and lay everything out and went through months and months and months of construction meetings, one of them drinks Macchiato and one of them drinks Americano. So <laughs> we nice. honored them in that process.
1: so nice much.
0: Yeah, and immediately adjacent, we have our other interesting type of room, which we're actually investigating at the moment because it was based on one of the biggest challenges we had in our old space. So we had a giant boardroom that fit about 24 to 26 people in it, which for small startups, oftentimes, you could fit their entire company in there twice over with room to spare. Mm -hmm. And it was only ever used for when board meetings were happening, like where kind of VCs would come in to visit, essentially, or if we loaned it out to nonprofits and things like that. And what you would most often find is there would be one person or two people doing a video conference or a demo, because most of our companies are software as a service, kind of SaaS B2B companies, so they mm-hmm. do a lot of demos. And so it would be one or two people in there with a laptop doing a demo in a giant boardroom, whereas if we had kind of sectioned it out, you could have had four or five of those conversations or those meetings happening simultaneously, and we were running out of meeting space.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you didn't get your meeting in a couple of days in advance on the calendar, you were kind of out of luck for a room. So what we did was intentionally design rooms that were designed for those kinds of meetings. And we did lots of surveying of our community beforehand, how often they did video conferences and phone conferences, how many people were in them, how long they were in there for, and we figured out how many roughly we might need. And so we built these rooms specifically to house two, maybe three people, a laptop, blank white wall behind you if you're on a video conference, for example, and a phone. So there's no whiteboards, there's no TV screens because they're completely superfluous for those kinds of meetings. We have six of them within the space. And what we've found is that a couple of them are used pretty regularly for that purpose. People still use our coffee rooms because they're a little bit more comfortable for that purpose, or they'll book a meeting room if they prefer. Meeting rooms have windows, these rooms don't. And the two of them that do have windows are booked constantly almost. So we found that the design was the functionality was specific to the problem, but the design and execution is not actually having the same impact as we imagined that it might. So, we're actually looking at reimagining some of these rooms, the ones that are least often booked, mm-hmm. to see what other functions within the space that people are finding they need more of that we could use them for. So, we're looking at the data on that at the moment, and some of them might become more phone rooms, just unbookable phone rooms where people can walk in and have phone calls, because we have four of those in our lobby. They're constantly in use so creating some more of those might free up some space Mm. in our lobby and stop people kind of pacing the hallways on uh, conference calls which is kind of people's typical backup plan yeah yeah but these are all because they're av rooms uh, designed for phone and video we had considered because they're all in pairs naming them gin and tonic or jack and coke (laughs) but um that kind of flew in the face of our anti-programming culture so we named them after albums so there's no signage on the doors. It's just literally the album and the vinyl is inside there.
1: I've got to say I don't recognize the cover of that album.
0: <laughs> that one is Coldplay X and Y. Okay. So what we did of six decades... We took kind of the top five grossing albums of each of those decades, or kind of roundabout there, and we tried to make sure that it was an inclusive list. So we didn't want, because most of our executives are in their 40s, we didn't want kind of just the 70s and 80s, for example, um, appearing on the wall. So we have X and Y.
1: Let me guess. You okay. From the 80s, Billie Jean.
0: Yes! We actually have, well, we have Michael Jackson Thriller. Okay. Yeah.
1: Thrill- yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. How could I get that wrong? Yeah from the 90s nevermind by nirvana absolutely this is from the 2000s uh, yeah this. X and,
0: y, x, yeah, and y? x and y there was coldplay and there were a couple of others but we tried to kind of balance out kind of bands that were too similar to each other the 2010 is adele okay 21 and we picked one of my favorite albums which Maybe I'm more like um, Highlander that never ages, but um, one of my favorite albums for the 70s, which was Fleetwood Mac Rumors.
1: Oh, great album.
0: Yeah, so that's on the wall.
1: Anything from the 60s? The Beatles?
0: No, we actually have one of our, my co-founder is a massive Pink Floyd fan. Okay. So I only got permission for this idea so long as there was a Pink Floyd album on the wall. (laughs) And so for shits and giggles, as opposed to doing the obvious dark side of the moon, mm-hmm. because also writing that in calendars, dark side of the, the moon, is just a really difficult cumbersome, it doesn't fit yeah. at the top of the screen kind of thing. We use the wall. So we have a you picture the of the wall.
1: You put the wall on
0: the wall. We do, and we've told people like, meet me at the wall. <laughs> and if you haven't been here long enough, people look at you like you've asked them to go and get you a left-handed spanner like, or a <laughs> left-handed wrench. So it's kind of one of those inside jokes, as well as never mind as people go, I'll meet you at Never mind. <laughs> and there's kind of that, what, are we really meeting? Is that on the calendar? So we had as much fun as we could with the meeting rooms. And funnily enough, we had an inordinate amount of meetings on naming meeting rooms our architects recommended kind of naming blocks of rooms kind of a b c d and then numbers within that like a1 b2 kind of thing or naming the different types of meeting rooms by a number so coffee rooms would be c and then it'd be coffee room one and coffee room two so c1 and c2 and it was just it felt really clunky and confusing and so we went no no no, we'll just like come up with names and they're like well what are you going to name it as <laughs> so we have our coffee rooms and named after coffee we have our av rooms they are named after albums, and the rest of our meeting rooms are named after innovators. And so we had a really interesting time because Lady Ada Lovelace was the person who wrote the first ever line of code or the first ever algorithm. But Lovelace has some other social connotations. So we actually had to name it Ada Lovelace. And we had to make sure that we had a, um, an ethnic split as well, that we weren't kind of only highlighting the white male innovators that Mm -hmm. we tend to recognize as innovators. We also had to cover up names like jobs, which doesn't really sound great on a door. (laughs) Um, So we made a split of male and female innovators throughout time who all worked in innovation and technology in some way. And we included the entire community in that. So we had surveys and people could offer suggestions, and then we had veto power. So out of the suggestions, because we had Beyonce as one of them,
1: as an innovator, as an
0: innovator, we had not, Kanye. Not the album. Yeah, we had okay. Kanye uh-huh. um, in there. We had some really interesting stuff that we're like, we're not actually going to put that on the wall for what we do. We're not challenging that they're innovative and impactful, but they're not the technology innovators we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So we finally came up with a list and basically told people to like it or lump it. And interestingly, because not everybody recognizes all of the names, it would have been easy for us to do, particularly in this area, case and um, Jobs and you know, there's some really Bezos and stuff like that, like. Mm-hmm have been easy for people to remember those names, but instead we've kind of forced them to learn like Hetty Lamar and stuff like that, who was an actress who also in World War II helped create a, um, a radar scrambling system that actually protected a lot of our ships and submarines during World War II. Okay. So kind of she's in there. And so we yeah. have a room called Lamar, and people are like, what's Lamar?" Google it. And they did, and they're like, wow, she's actually really cool. So we're kind of gently nudging people in the direction that we're we're looking for and reflecting our values in even just the bones of the space
1: that they're walking in every day. Sure. And I asked about the album, so I have to ask about the innovators since it's the innovation engine. Who else is on the list of having a room named after them?
0: Peter Drucker, my favorite room. He's the gent that said... Culturate Strategy for Breakfast. He's mm-hmm. also the one that said that you've got to treat your, treat your employees like volunteers. My background's nonprofit, so um, I know all about volunteer-run things and how important it is for people to be engaged and fulfilled by their work, so he's on the wall. He's also, we have a, a chalk mural by our, um, our lobby door that is Culture Strategy for Breakfast. Mm-hmm. We have Bayer, we have Latimer, we have Norman, we have Tesla. Turing, Hopper. I think that's about it. I may have forgotten one.
1: Okay. I have some homework to do.
0: Yeah, I can send you a list. I can send you a link to all of them. And we're actually eventually, it's not our highest priority, creating little frames on the wall with each of the innovators and a little blurb about them to teach people about it. But we kind of we shared with the community when we first opened who they were and what they did. Encouraged them to do their own digging. But since then we've kind of been functioning on focusing on making the space as functional as possible and less around our decorations.
1: Yeah, very cool. Awesome.
0: So we're coming around to our second bank of offices and we have kind of collaborative co-working desks in the middle here and looking down the barrel of our um, our second kitchen and our event space. So the far right-hand wall in here is all meeting rooms and then offices. The far left-hand wall is all AV rooms and in the middle, we just have desks here for people to openly collaborate. And we often find that the offices directly adjacent here bring their team out to collaborate here without needing to book a meeting room. They just get stuff done outside of their room where they can um, all meet easily.
1: Okay, very nice. And I'm looking at some of the logos of the companies: AppTap, mm-hmm. Broadsoft, that looks like Broadsoft as well.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, Broadsoft started out as IntelliNote. They had an exit and were acquired by Broadsoft, grew significantly. And we're actually sniff, sniff, saying goodbye to them at the end of the month. They've been with us for, wow, four or five years. They joined us when there were two people. Wow.
1: And And how big are they now?
0: I think they're 14 in the space and they're actually integrating into their parent company, Broadsoft. So they've been with us while they're continuing to build out their space. They popped champagne here when they signed their acquisition deal, which was really lovely. So yeah, it's nice to watch them grow, but also it's been interesting to kind of help them negotiate their culture throughout time. They initially started out in the open co-working floor with just the two co-founders on the open co-working floor. And then when they grew, they went into an office and they kind of had the row of desks immediately outside their office door. So they could kind of lean back and eyeball somebody and have a chat. When we relaunched the space in May last year, they moved over to the new area while we were kind of demolishing the old area, and they liked it here, so they stayed. And they've just kind of eaten space around themselves until they're kind of at a point where um, they're so big they need to find their own home.
1: And so do you have, it sounds like you will soon, perhaps, do you have vacancy if people are listening and are interested in booking space?
0: We do. We will have a couple of offices open. We have some now, but Prodsoft are going to vacate a few. We have a small number of desks. Our desks fill up quite quickly, which interestingly, in our first iteration, it was the other way around. Our offices sold first and then the co-working space filled up. This time around it was the co-working space that filled up and the offices are nearly full. So it's interesting just in that three-year window Mm -hmm. how the way that we're working is shifting and how there's endless articles on kind of everything from HuffPost to, to LinkedIn to kind of Forbes and HBR around open offices versus kind of privacy petitions versus offices, versus open co-working floors, versus all those kinds of things, and their impact on productivity. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me that a lot of those studies are actually where people quote that the need for privacy makes us less productive in an open space. The studies often, or the ones that they're quoting, and I've done my research on this, uh, a lot of them that they were quoting actually happened in the late 70s and early 80s, the research papers that they're quoting, so Mm -hmm. we would no longer in an academic sense consider them relevant. And they were also happening at the nexus of where people were coming out of offices for the first time into bullpens. And so the reaction was often a reaction to losing their office as opposed to the experience of an open space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a different generation to the one that we see in this space. Yep. No one was working in the late 70s, typically, that right. is still in our space now. Yeah. So what we find is that people need the capacity to have different spaces for different types of work they do not need. An office some personalities would prefer it and that's fine but I don't know very many companies that can create spaces based on someone's personal preference particularly with kind of people cycling in and out of jobs every kind of three to four years so functionally speaking so long as you execute it well an open co-working space or an open working floor for a company is actually highly productive and the papers that were written that first recommended that as a style actually recommended having a series of meeting rooms and quiet rooms and other spaces that people could retire to in alignment with that open co working floor or that open kind of desk benching seating. But when the Valley got a hold of it, they did what they usually do, which is the leanest version of it that they could possibly do, which was just chuck down desks and chairs, and that's all and so it's not the science behind an open co-working or an open working floor that is flawed, but often our execution
1: of it. Yeah, very nice. All right, I still don't see the arcade games.
0: Okay, move down this way. (laughs) So they're tucked around the corner just on the other side of our um, our second kitchen. Now, our second kitchen is much the same as our first, galley-style, giant, kind of waist-high or a little bit higher than that benching, two coffee machines, two microwaves, three refrigerators. I would normally be able to show you an endless row of coffee mugs, but they are currently on people's desks or in the dishwasher. (laughs) More toaster ovens, lots and lots of plates and things like that. We've got the back of a refrigerator here. Good friends of ours at Power Supply, which is another DC Metro startup that deliver food from the kitchens of catering companies or restaurants that are closed during the day utilizing their kitchen when they're on their downtime and selling it, delivering it. They do to kind of yoga studios and gyms and offices like ours, essentially. For us, the benefit is amazing because it means despite the 32, I think it is, restaurants downstairs, Reston Town Center, we oftentimes find people that come in and don't leave until they go home. And so they're either eating Skittles and chocolate-covered almonds and drinking soda, or we can give them a relatively inexpensive way to eat real food. And the real food means that they're more productive past 3 Mm p.m. And they don't hit that slump. We also have nuts and yogurt and fruit and things like that to get them over those kind of 3 p.m. sugar crashes. And we've had a series of kind of lunch and learns to educate those who aren't educated on nutrition, how to fuel themselves throughout the day. So... If they do still reach for the Skittles, they know better. Um, (laughs) And they know what the other options are. But this kitchen, for the most part, is the same as the one on the other side, except we have a TV. So what we found is when we first opened, some of the CEOs that came in this door, because there's a door adjacent to this kitchen, again, just like Scandinavian architects suggested, and would not get past here in the morning for the first kind of seven or eight days that we were open to their desk. So they'd get here, they'd grab a coffee mug, they'd make their coffee or their tea, and then by the time they turned around to get to their desk, they would have a line of people wanting to collaborate with them. So they literally just plugged in their laptop to the cords at the end of the bench and worked here, ate here, drank here, chilled here for the first week and a half. Took them a little while to figure out if they enter in the other door and go the other way around to their desk. They actually made it the whole way to the desk before people (laughs) found them in the kitchen. They can put their bag down. But that TV meant that we can literally plug in an HDMI cable and collaborate in the kitchen around what's on that um, TV. Also in the ceiling up here, we have a bunch of speakers that is linked to the giant projector in our event space, which is immediately adjacent. So at the moment, the doors are open, so it looks like one giant space. We can actually close a series of glass doors that separate the kitchen from the event space. So if there's something going on in there, we can kind of give them the space to themselves. Or if we have parties, we had some awesome parties here at the end of last year, we just clear out some of those desks because they're drop-in desks as opposed to full-time desks. Mm -hmm. And we create a party kind of throughout here, which as you can see, you can't even see any of our permanent desks um, from this space here. So can create a party zone here and even in our lobby if we want to, open the lobby doors on both sides and still have nothing touch our um, actual people who are coding and developing and and building their businesses on either side.
1: Okay, very nice. And I do now see the arcade. You do. The arcade, it looks like a combo.
0: Yeah, we've got two of them.
1: Oh, watch out. Yeah. Um, You don't have NBA Jam, do you?
0: Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I have to admit that I've never played them, ever. I have played Super Smash Bros. in the space. We have a um, giant projector up there. We hook it up to we use an Xboxes and things like that. And so oftentimes we have teams from kind of all throughout the space having um, Super Smash Bros competitions. When the language gets a little bit blue, doesn't offend me as an Australian, (laughs) but um, they kind of head into one of the conference rooms. But this space here is completely empty, which is rare. And it never looks the same day to day. So all of the furniture is easy enough to slide or push or lift. And people, even from the first day we opened this space, felt enough ownership over it to just reorganize it the way they wanted to. So they'll drag tables together or they'll kind of push stuff around. There's now a table in the very corner by the window because someone has decided it's their favorite place in the space. And so they just plug in over there as opposed to at their desk. We have a um, popcorn cart hiding in the corner. (laughs) And the rule is you want popcorn, you make it. And some of the people who are the biggest fans of popcorn in the space are actually CEOs and CFOs. So it's one of the uh, really interesting culture pieces that we find is that we oftentimes have our CEOs and CFOs serving popcorn to their own teams, which is really cool.
1: Very nice. Well, I think we've made it full circle. I don't know for sure.
0: The only thing on the other side of that is just more desks, more of the same.
1: Okay. I recognize those IKEA baskets from anywhere.
0: Yeah, well, they were actually supposed to be thrown out. They were an inexpensive way for us to separate a very noisy inbound sales team. So we had a team that was growing in size, and they were really noisy in comparison to the rest of the space. We didn't have a room big enough to fit them anymore. So what we did was we did the startup way, which is go to IKEA and hack it. And so we bought a series of IKEA shelves. I think it's Expedit? I don't know some of the just the square shelves so there's a, a range of baskets that slide in and out in black and white because mm-hmm. that serves us and we screwed them too high so it's kind of eight boxes high and we sectioned off what was our old event space so we kind of ate into the event space a little bit and kind of ate into the co-working floor a little bit and put shelves on either side with a gap wide enough to meet all of the fire hazard rules and um, all of the exit procedures if there's ever a fire in the building so we made sure we we're up to code and then we used that to dampen the sound. And that worked great until this space was built out. And then when our trash hole was supposed to come for us to get rid of all of the junk and the excess stuff from the build out, all the boxes and, and bits and pieces, they were due to go and then they were rescued. <laughs> Rescued or hoarded, depending on your <laughs> view, by some of the companies here. And now they're used by some dev teams who didn't like how open the space was. And so they kind of created a, their own little hovel protected by trusty IKEA shelves in every direction to protect themselves from noise and light, which apparently is borderline allergic for most developers.
1: And it sounds like there is a, a certain element of. Um kind of allowing people to do what they want with their surroundings, I guess, to a certain degree. Yeah. How do you manage that, I suppose? Do you ever get into sticky situations where somebody does something crazy yeah. that you don't love?
0: We do it with deep breathing. But one of the things that we're grounded in is we, don't, we can't know everything, and everything around how we work mm-hmm. is changing so fast that the designs that are manifest in this space now are actually completed at the end of 2015. They didn't come to life until kind of halfway through 2016, and kind of we're now kind of getting towards the beginning of Q2 in 2017. So even if we got people's very specific brief, we're talking nearly two years ago. And so the pace of change and even the size and dynamics of different groups have changed. So we can't be right, there's no right in this. I'm already rewiring parts of the space mm-hmm. because the technology demands and kind of the Cat Six demands for who needs to be connected and how connected they need to be and things like that has changed in the past less than two years. So we're grounded in our humility. Of kind of this is our stab and especially with space you can't know how it's going to be utilized or how it's going to feel until it's done and by that stage it's kind of a little bit late to change your design Mm -hmm. you can iterate it so we built the space so that we could iterate it easily and that the double-edged sword is that so can everyone else yeah so we do when something like that changes and we've actually got a new basketball hoop in one of our co-working floors that was kind of pulled in there or bought and delivered by one of the team leads for their team that kind of their team loves it and adjacent teams hate it. So we're kind of stuck balancing those briefs and I'm actually for one half of the space in the middle of a space reassessment and redesign Mm -hmm. to figure out how we might better place things to make the teams that are within there more effective. We've actually got some teams that are about to finish I'm not gonna say anything, touch wood, a fundraising round in which case the team's about to grow dramatically and we're looking at how we can accommodate that with our existing layout or how we might augment things so if they choose to grow the way it looks like that they might in their hiring plan yeah. that we can still accommodate them when we can't shift walls so yeah we're kind of good at making things work i can read a test plan or a test fit as good as most architects at this point and we get a lot of requests from people who want us to run a fraction in a space that they have and oftentimes people send me test fits and from my experience building out two of these now i can look at them and go that's not going to work no thank you or the design of that building itself is not conductive to collaboration we're not interested in engaging yeah so we're getting good at figuring out what might work but we're also we always have our ear to the ground we're always talking to different teams and team leads and and we're actually now starting to see generation Z in the space there's not a whole lot of data on them yet because they're literally in their very early 20s and so a lot of startups hire people straight from college and they're mm-hmm. kind of the bleeding edge of generation Z who have a different profile Altogether from Generation Y. So while everybody else is still grappling with, oh, what what are we gonna do with millennials? We're starting to think about, wow, okay, how are we gonna accommodate kind of the next few years of hiring, which a lot of them are going to be Generation Z. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly reassessing space and how it functions.
1: I'll ask about special considerations for Generation Z and then we can wrap things up, is that okay?
0: Yeah, well, I might have to give back to you on (laughs) how to orient space for Generation Z. What we know is that they're more digitally native than even generation y and they're more group focused so we're imagining that even benching might not be the best way for them kind of pods Mm -hmm. uh, where people are facing each other as opposed to kind of side by side and shoulder to shoulder is probably going to work for them we'll have to experiment and test that out they also did a whole lot of in college and in, in school they did a lot of like breakouts in little teams in a giant space So they're used to flexible furniture and flexible use of things and everything being portable and uh, things like that. Apparently, they're supposed to be incredibly independent. So we'll see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. And also very resilient because they grew up with the backdrop of everything from kind of 9-11 to kind of the GFC. So we're yet to see. I think we only have two or three of them in the office yet. And so far, they're pleasant individuals that seem to fit in very easily. And we haven't had to make any special considerations for them yet. But our next kind of space planning, we always did representations of generations from kind of as far up as we had. I don't think we had any boomers, but Gen X and Gen Y now will be specifically seeking out. Gen Z employees so that we can kind of quiz them in the same way and find out how they prefer to work. Because when we did that with our Generation Y, we actually changed some of our plans because their feedback was even different than what we anticipated.
1: Okay, nice. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely listen to the first episode that we recorded together on the importance of space and place or place and space. I forget exactly how we catched it. But Rachel, thank you so much for the walkthrough of Refraction. Great to see some of the ideas in action.
0: Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Come back anytime. And when I do figure out how Gen Z is different, I will let you know.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks once again to Rachel Stott for being a fantastic host and opening up the doors to the Refraction co-working space so we can see how... They encourage innovation and collaboration there. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel, you can follow her on Twitter at @RachelStott. Rachel Stott. That's Rachel spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L and her last name is S-T-O-T-T. If you'd like to find out more about the Refraction co-working space, you can visit their website at www.refractionpoint.org. And you can also follow Refraction on Twitter at, at RefractionPT. If you liked what you heard on this episode, Please help spread the word about the podcast on your social media networks of choice. If you choose to do so on Twitter, don't forget to mention at RefractionPT at Rachelstott and or at 3 Pillar Global. That's 3 Pillar with the number 3. The Innovation Engine Podcast is produced by 3 Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Go to our website at www.3pillarglobal.com to find out more about our services. You can subscribe to the Innovation Engine through the iOS podcast app, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. And you can also ensure that you never miss an episode by going to 3 podcast. There you can sign up to receive fresh new episodes of the Innovation Engine in your inbox each time one comes out. You can also download our very own iOS app designed and developed in-house here at 3Pillar by searching for the Innovation Engine in the iTunes App Store. If you like what you hear on the Innovation Engine and you live in the world of product and software development, you may like our sister podcast, Take 3. You can find Take 3 at soundcloud.com slash take3pillar with the number 3 or on iOS devices by searching for Take and the number 3 in the podcast app. On each episode, my partner in crime, Julia Slattery, talks with two three-pillar team members to get quick takes on the trends, technologies, and tools that are changing the way software gets made and business gets done.